When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show. Sometimes the universe has a way of placing people or obstacles in your path to help guide and direct you on your mission. Listen in as we discover the path my guest has traveled. Has he been inspired by a calling, crafted his journey, or a bit of both? I invite you to embrace the conversation and to use it to help you to recognize if this is happening in your life. Our guest today is Staff Sergeant Jason Kyle, who is a career soldier and combat veteran in the U.S. Army. He is a single father and hopefully a career writer. His new book, Honor Lost, received the Plume Award. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Jason. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's really nice to see you and talk again. Can you let our audience know where did you grow up and what inspired you to write this novel um, that you're uh, publishing, Honor Lost? So I grew up in the in an Air Force family, so I grew up, I've lived all over the place. Um, <laughs> um, as far as what inspired me, um, I guess the ending of Return of the King, honestly, I was watching it one day while I was in Iraq and a question just kind of popped into my head. And I wonder what would have happened to this world if Sauron, the bad guy, had won and Mm -hmm. came to two conclusions. Well, either the world would end a la Warhammer End Times style, where the world just kind of implodes on itself. Or more realistically, I think he would just take over and rule with an iron fist. So I went that route and then I started um, kind of stream of consciousness style, started to think it's okay, well, if the bad guy won and he decided to rule, what kind of people would that create? What kind of cultures would that create? Where would the line of morality be? Like what would people consider good and evil and stuff like that? And I mm. kind of decided it would be a pretty bleak world where the, the really, really good guys are just simply people who don't go out of their way to do evil. Right. <laughs> and where, the, where evil and depravity would be kind of commonplace, especially in the ruling class. And so did that inspire you to write, to begin to write your novel? It did. I, uh, I, I started to think, I started world building in my head as I would, do guard, do radio guard duties and mm-hmm. go on convoys. I had a lot of, I had a lot of time by myself to just brainstorm uh, in between patrols and some of that. Um, and I would just brainstorm 
And one day after I'd been doing this for a couple of weeks, I started just kind of doing these bubble charts, like, okay, here's, here's what, I, what I've thought about the world. Here's, here's some of the characters that I've thought about. Here's what some of my influences. Okay, what would this evil empire look like? Well, maybe a little bit Roman, a little Nazi German, a little Russian, a little this, a little that, a little, you know, uh, what would the good guys, so-called good guys look like and so that. And before I know it, I had a whole notebook full of short biographies on characters and some of that. And I was like, okay, yeah, I've got enough content. I think, uh, let me let me start writing and see where this goes. And a little over a year later, I ended up with uh, like 230,000 words. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But you were very strategic about it. I mean, you developed a map uh, so that uh, a reader like myself uh, can refer to that map when you are describing certain scenes or when the soldiers are moving from one place to the other. Fantastic. Yes. Well, I mean, for one, I'm, I'm kind of I'm a planner anyway. Um, mm-hmm. That's my nature. I, I don't I don't do things very spontaneously. Most of the time, I think things through quite a bit um maybe i've been accused by my supervisors even of overthinking things at times mm-hmm. um um but funny thing about the map that actually came at the very very end i had in my head i was loosely imagining the eastern half of the u.s for most of my story mm-hmm. so having spent 20 years in the army i understand logistics i understand how far soldiers can march in a day i understand how wearing body armor affects you and stuff like that in ways that a lot of that civilian writers don't seem to based on all the books that i've read where they may cover similar events and they don't cover little things like hmm here's a massive army marching for weeks on end to get from point a to point b how are they eating (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) little things like that that civilian writers just don't seem to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And my military mind thinks about that constantly, the logistics side of that. Um, How are they getting resupplied? Stuff like that. Um, So the map actually came at the very, very end where I was like, okay, my story needs a map. I started using a, just a map building, some map building software, some cheap map building software, finally created my map. Over, I found a way to overlay it with a grid system, which I was thrilled with because that mm-hmm. once I, I could scale the, how big the grids were and that allowed me to put an actual scale on it. So I made, I turned my location into basically an island. Roughly, I'd have to recheck my notes, but off the top of my head, I made the island roughly the size of Australia. So an island, but a really, really big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it still ended up, I think Australia actually is still square mileage wise about the same size as the Eastern portion of the US. So I didn't have to do too much reworking, but once I did make a two scale map, I then rewent and skimmed back through my book once again and and made sure that every time I had soldiers moving from point A to point B, point B to point C, et cetera, that it lined up with my map. Like, okay, could they have covered this distance? And in a few instances, I did have to alter how how long it took or I had to alter how far they actually marched because it didn't line up with my map. Mm -hmm. 
And so, I mean, you go into quite a bit of detail of what the soldiers are wearing on either side. And so did you um, do some illustrating as you were also creating your book? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm a total nerd for armor and weapons and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I did some sketches myself while I was writing just to keep myself consistent. So right. I knew how to describe because weapons and stuff like that influence your tactics. Okay. Um, so I, I had to design like the, the, the Utvesky army. Okay. They're army pr primarily of conscripts, which means they don't need really expensive, elaborate gear, but they are uniformed. So that made me kind of think Roman style armor, because that was one of the first early armors that had for, for their day, Roman soldiers were actually very heavily armored for their day. Mm -hmm. um, so originally I had envisioned the Untvesky looking very Roman. And then when it came time to professionally publish Honor Lost Through Writers Republic, I decided to get an artist that I found on Etsy to do some illustrations better than what I could do based on the sketches that I had done. And when I was providing her with examples of what I was wanting these people look like I stumbled across some 12th century Russian soldiers. Um, Kassars, I think, I'm, I can't remember what their act, what that type of troop is actually called, but mm -hmm. they're wearing um, Lamellar, uh, scaled armor. And I saw that and I was just like, ooh, that looks really, really cool. Yeah. Um, so on a dime, I changed the way the Untvesky look and that actually even made me go back through my novel and change out a few things as far change out a few descriptions as to what they looked like because originally i had written them looking somewhere between roman and norman soldiers of the like 11th century with a lot of chain mail simple cone helmets still uh using kite shields mm -hmm. or tower shields and wasn't really i don't think i specified exactly the shape of the shield but they do use big shields because armies when armies that fight in shoulder to shoulder formations tend to use the big shields. Uh, and that's how it now is the style of combat that I use for the Unfeski, a very, very simple kind of style that doesn't necessarily require extensive training. Mm -hmm. And so you had a lot of free time and you spent it creating and creating this book and writing this book. Um, did, did a lot of people who were in the army army do that or? Uh, no, I am. No, very, they didn't. I am very, very odd for in comparison, most soldiers between doing their duties, most soldiers hit the gym. Uh, they go out bar hopping uh sometimes they go out and play sports um play around on motorcycles and what have you um yeah no, it's I, the same <laughs> as regular life it's the same as regular life right i mean there's some yeah, people who use, so. their, so. who, who use their spare time in creativity and then others who who spend it doing other things whether they're positive or negative right so that's uh that's kind of interesting um so where are you headed with this book? I mean, is it released at this point? So, I mean, it's released on Amazon. It's released on Writer's Republic. 
Uh, my right. mom actually just the other day said that she got a copy from Barnes and Noble. So nice. I know those three sources and you can nice. get it either online or you can, uh, you can, you can get a hard copy at some point in the very near future. It will be coming out across select States around the U S in paperback. Um, last time I talked to writers Republic, they were, they were still talking to the, these bookstore owners, finding out who's willing to buy copies of my book to put them in their stores. Mm -hmm. That should be happening. I, I should actually probably give them a call this week if I don't hear from them soon. It, it should be soon that they'll be available in a lot of bookstores. Mm -hmm. But I mean, people can go to uh, Amazon and uh, look up Honor Lost by Jason Kyle. So once this book, I mean, are you writing another book uh, as we speak? Uh, so Honor Lost was originally two books. Remember, I said it was 230,000 words. I found out when yes. I went to try, try publishing it that uh, I found out that most publishers only want about 120,000 words for a manuscript. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, this works. I can cut this book in half, part one and part two. And both of those end up being around 110,000 words or so. So I cut it in half. So part one became honor lost. I published it. Uh, so part two has already gone through a little bit of editing. It's completely written. I would need to go back and do some of the same tweaks that I did with the first book, making sure that that locations line up with each other. I would have to, you know, change again, the way that Vesky look. I also changed some of the weapons and armament of even the main group of uh, mercenaries who by book two, spoiler, are, uh, are adventurers now because my, my concept for the story as a whole was mm -hmm. to take a group of mercenaries mm -hmm. and have them go through a level, go through um, a process of life where they do become rebels against the Veski that is the ultimate endpoint but I don't think that people it's not like in some TV shows where you know they they're it, one bad they're just normal people one bad thing happens to them and the next thing you know they're leading a revolution it's like mm, I, no look at our own revolutionary leaders look at revolutionary leaders in other places throughout history and usually there's a journey you don't yeah. just kind of wake up one day and go hmm i'm probably gonna die because it's it's hard enough to fight a rebellion it's even much much harder to start a rebellion um mm -hmm. and that's that's the process that i have this group go from is a group of normal mercenary soldiers if you can call mercenary soldiers normal to begin with, um, they go from a group of normal mercenary soldiers to adventurers to rebels, mm -hmm. and that's the process that I'll be that I'll be taking them through. If my books, I'm kind of I'm using honor loss as a kind of a test run to see how well it'll do. Mm -hmm. So will it be will it be honor loss too, or will you have a different name? The working titles that I have in my head are honor lost, honor found, and honors stand. I like honors stand. 
Uh-huh. I'm a little more iffy on honor found because originally in my head, when I thought of honors loss, I thought I was thinking it was going to be a two book thing. Honors, right. honor, honor lost. And then honors stand. Mm-hmm. And I didn't anticipate originally having to split the books, the, the first book up into two. Um, so right now in my head and on my computer, the running, the running title for book two is honor found, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm a little bit less confident. I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty confident that I've written good stories. So honor, honor lost, I think is a good, is a good story. I've oh, yes. shown it. I've shown it to a lot of my friends and soldiers are soldiers take a particular sadistic delight in insulting each other. Guys in general do this anyway. If you listen to a group of guys talk to each other versus how women talk to each other, guys as a general rule are already brutally honest to each other. Soldiers dial that up even more so. So I've shown this novel to any nerd I could find in my, within my peer group and they all like it. That's what ultimately gave me the confidence to get this thing published anyway. It's like, well, if it wasn't a good story, I have to believe at least one of my friends would have been like, dude, Kyle, this, this thing sucks. Why'd you waste my time giving it to me? But that hasn't happened. No, I've shown it to a few no. family members who weren't even in my target audience group and they liked it. So I, I'm confident in my writing abilities. I'm confident in my storytelling abilities. I'm not so confident in my title creating abilities. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly like the title Honor Lost don't really like the title honor found maybe i'm being too critical on myself but yeah that's the copy going right now (laughs) Mm -hmm. i like the title honor lost okay well you know it's a it's a refreshing title and um so i really like the the title of the book and it's so interesting and so well written i love how descriptive you are um you know that one bar scene um, you know, it's so interesting what you do with the characters and what you make them do. And then all of a sudden, the dog that you talked about in the morning, who is just such a nice, lovely companion uh, to her master. Right there and in, the, right, in the middle of the fight as well. And my, yeah. And as long as the master's not fighting, the dog's happy just to uh, yes. be happy uh, yes. and run around the bar. But as soon as the fight breaks out and if the master's in it, well, she's right. That, that was that was the dog's cue to like, oh, OK, we're doing this now. Yep. It was a well-trained dog. Yeah. And uh, it's um, a lot of people wouldn't have thought of that. And that's what I liked. You brought that dog back in there that I wasn't expecting you to do. And uh, so I, I really like that. You're a fine writer. Well, um, so, yeah. So um, you won an award already uh, for this book. You want yes, to talk about that? The Plume Award. Yeah. Um, Writers Republic, when they get their books when they get their new um manuscripts together and they just for their round of publishing they select one that they think is really outstanding and they give it that plume award and yeah they they nominated mine mm-hmm. it's very interesting so when we talk about the second book that you've uh, you're working on right now how is how does it differ from the first one well or is it a progression it's a progression, which means it is different. So um, I hate 
stories that take place over a long period of time when I'm writing, when I'm listening, when I'm watching uh, shows and characters yes. don't progress. So in my story, there are going to be characters who die. There's going to be characters that new characters get introduced. I love that. Um, yeah. Life happens. Mm -hmm. um, and they go from in the first story, they're, they're mercenaries. Uh, things happen to pretty much end that career by the two thirds of the way point of book one. Um, by book two, at the, the book two begins with a whole new adventure, and it and it's also inspired by the what I see happen all the time with uh, army buddies when I keep track of them on social media. Is a lot of times soldiers do keep track of each other after mm -hmm. the military, and sometimes if one ends up doing something fun, they'll bring their band back together again and say, "Hey, let's go do this thing now." Okay. Um, hell, look at the guys who did uh, Black Rifle Company, Black, mm -hmm. Black Rifle Coffee Company. Yes. That's exactly it. A group. There were a group of soldiers. A couple of them had served together, and then afterwards they decided to do this thing, and then they started bringing in all their buddies, uh, and that kind of thing happens quite a bit. So that's what I. That's what inspired me. So book two, Owen uh, discovers a treasure. He wants to go after it. He rounds up his buddies, and they go and they become treasure hunters. And it was it was that book was more that part of the book was more inspired just by good old adventure stories mm -hmm. um no high end, no high-end politics no overtly moral lessons no it's just a group of former soldiers getting together to get trying to get rich but in the process because they are in a land where the the under underlying everything that happens in book one and book two and it'll be a big part in book in book three there is a, a strong cultural tension i don't want to say racial tension because that brings up a, a whole new nuance but in the same way that think um like the saxons and the normans when the normans conquered england from the saxons uh in the you know 1100s and there was a lot a lot of friction between those two groups for at least a couple hundred years. Um, same thing like when the English conquered Ireland, mm -hmm. the way they treated the Irish. So when I say cultural tensions, it's along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, and the main group of mercenaries, they belong to the conquered group. So okay. while they're running around the land, just trying to get rich, they are having to tiptoe around Untbeski authorities. They're they're having to witness the brutality of their people in a little bit more visceral way than they kind of had to. Because soldiers, as a as a general rule, at least in my personal experience, are a little bit mm -hmm. more removed from the rest of the population. We're kind of we, we kind of do our own thing. We have there's it's it's an entirely different subculture. Oh yes. Um, and so they don't see as much of that. They don't have to stomach nearly. They're a little bit more privileged in the first book because they are elite mercenaries. <coughs> um, whereas in book two, they're in amongst the population and they're dealing with that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, when you go into the military, um, you're... Uh, shaped 
right? Is is that the word? Yeah, you can use that. Um, a really groomed. blunt way. Oh, go ahead. I don't like, like the word groomed, groomed either. No. <laughs> um, conditioned, I think, is the word. Is the okay. word. Okay. Mm-hmm. Condition. There's definitely a mentality that if you didn't have it already going to the military, basic training enforces it. Tr- um, training in your unit afterwards definitely enforces it. Uh, deployments definitely affect that conditioning. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and it's the kind of conditioning that, you know, where in a, think, how, how many stories have you heard where um, a, a, a knifing attack happens on a train or something like that in Europe and mm-hmm. a couple of soldiers who happen to be on the train, whereas everybody else is backing off away from it or even worse, pulling out their cameras to record it. A couple yeah. of soldiers on the train go into action and attack the the criminal mm-hmm. so that mindset of instead of running away from the danger running to to, to confront the danger there's that conditioning okay and that's uh, that's part of the reason i knew i wanted to tell the story of a rebellion against an evil empire to me the most logical group to do that the most logical type of people to do that would be military and I mean, mm. historically, a lot of the people who do start rebellions, I mean, hell, a lot of civil wars, a lot of revolutions, it actually is top ranking military members who begin that kind of a thing. Every now and then you get people who weren't like, uh, I mean, look at, you know, the famous revolutionary Che Guevara, the guy was a doctor before he became a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are plenty of other, look at our, look at our founding fathers. Some of them were military, some of them were politicians, and so forth. So for my for my story, I decided to go with a group of mercenaries because I kind of stuck with, well, I can identify with soldiers. I know how soldiers think. I know how we talk, how we act. Um, I thought it'd be fun because I see how soldiers oh, yeah. are portrayed in fiction and on TV and in books. Mainstream. And generally, when Hollywood mm-hmm. civilians uh, portray military members, they do it in the most cringy stereotype way possible, i.e. the Bad Batch, Star Wars, the Bad Batch. It's not a terrible show, mm-hmm. but the characters of the Bad Batch, it is the cookie cutter stereotype. Every single one of the member of the Bad Batch, like, oh, the big dumb guy who's good with explosives. Oh, the thin sinister guy with the whispery voice who's also the sniper. The guy, the thin balding guy with glasses called Tech. He's their technical guy. Yep. Yep. It's like you guys didn't even try on this. So I was like, okay, I need to do my own stories. Okay, here, exactly. here's what stories are like. Yes. And so, in addition to, I mean, when we talk about conditioning, I think, um, you know, the general public think conditioning, um, they're putting you through your paces, you have to do a lot of obstacles and stuff like that. But talk to us about, uh, I mean, your condition, your mind is also being conditioned because you're being deployed, right? So there's also that. Sure. Um, It just kind of goes back to the stories that you hear every now and then on soldiers on a train being conditioned to, okay, never mind the danger. This is a thing that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. There's There's innocent people being harmed. I'm going to do something about it. And you just kind of have to push the, the danger of the, the risk. You have to kind of push that aside. Um, 
and that's another reason why I chose mercenaries for mercenary soldiers. The fact that the mercenaries is just kind of uh, an, an add-on thing. It's actually not that big of a deal if they're mercenaries, and that's another reason why I chose mercenaries, honestly, is mm-hmm. I know a lot of a lot of people in the civilian world, when you hear the word mercenary, there's always there always seems to be this weird negative connotation to the word. I don't see the, uh, I don't see that as like, okay, mercenary. All a mercenary is is a professional soldier who I think and I think this is actually the UN definition basically of mercenary is okay. somebody who goes and fights in a conflict whose host nation is not involved. So that's why you see when those Blackwater guys and so that were in Iraq. Well, they were. In, it was an American company, and it was predominantly ex-special forces types who were fighting and who were being recruited into Blackwater. So they are they are private contractors, not mercenaries. Now, if Blackwater had gone into like what's going on now in Ukraine, okay, now they're probably now they'd probably be considered mercenaries. But okay, is that a bad thing? I I don't I don't see that as a bad thing. Um, I think it just depends on who they're working for. They're just you know it's a professional soldier. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I wanted to, I wanted people who already I wanted to focus on a story who already have the mindset of being willing to step up in the face of danger. Soldiers, I, I think most soldiers, especially combat soldiers, you have to lose a little of that fear of death. Like so many civilians are terrified, even of oh, oh my god. I see civilians like when I'm in a college classroom so that, and they're terrified of even hurting somebody's feelings or they're terrified of, of getting dislikes on social media. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I mean, and, 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 and that stops people, them. Yeah. And some people, um, if there's nothing to worry about, uh, they make up stuff to worry about. I mean, because we're not, you know, as humans, we're not really being challenged at a very high level. And so when we have an ordinary life uh, where we go to work, come home, eat, eat uh, dinner, uh, watch television until it's bedtime and go to sleep, there's lots of idle time to think about what to worry about. And a lot of people spend yeah. time doing that. And it, I feel so um, bad uh, for people like that. They haven't learned a different way. Maybe they'll hear yeah. this podcast and say, oh, goodness, I do that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just a, a, a indication of how truly good we actually have it in the world right now. It's a whole, uh, I, I love the phrase, uh, hard times create tough men, tough men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. Okay. And it's just a cycle. It's a cycle. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're listening to the Rhonda Grant Show right now, whose podcast has been treated with digital audio health by my sponsor, Symatrax. And today I am speaking to an award-winning author, Jason Kyle, and his first book, Honor Lost. Let our audience know how they may purchase your book, Jason. Uh, well, you can get it very easily by typing in Honor Lost by Jason Kyle on Amazon. You can get it from the writer's uh, Republic website. You can also get it from Barnes and Noble's website. It's available digitally or on paperback uh, from any of those three sites. And then you have an, you have a part two coming up as well. I have a part two locked and loaded on standby. Nice. Uh, kind of waiting to see how this one does. Uh-huh. Um, 
if it does well enough to, 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 if it looks like people are interested, yes, I have a book too that, oh man, um, give me a few months of editing and, and giving it the makeover treatment. The, the, mm-hmm. I, I like adding illustrations to the story, especially for fantasy fiction. Um, so give it a little bit, give me a little bit of time to generate some illustrations and whatnot. Yeah, I could, I, I, within a few months, if I, as soon as I decide to, I could have book two released. I even have the third book actually started. I already have a very in-depth outline. I know where I'm going with my story. Your book is very interesting. It's incredibly descriptive and it's fast moving. And that's what people like. I mean, it's a perfect combination uh, for a really great read. Uh, Tell me, um, do you feel that you've been called uh, to your journey that you're on right now? Uh, No, I think I just... uh like a lot of writers that I've read when they're interviewed. Um, I just wrote the kind of, I just decided I wanted to write this kind of story that I like to read. And uh, I don't see a whole lot of military focused fantasy fiction. And Mm -hmm. I I had the material to work with. I had the inspiration, you know, from I've I've deployed to Iraq three times. So that combined with being a huge uh, fantasy fiction nerd i decided to try my hand at it mm-hmm. and what was it like to arrive in those countries and and know that you're in war uh the first time it was definitely exciting because i arrived in march i arrived in country in march 2003 mm-hmm. um, so i was pretty excited because i i was very aware that I was helping make history, at least my own teeny tiny little way. Um, so I was pretty excited. The second time I was a little bit less excited because the second time, in fact, I got the drunkest I've ever been in my life the night before. Uh, and I flew to Iraq with a massive hangover. Oh. <laughs> um, because the sec- by the second time I deployed in uh, the winter of 2007, like November, December 2007, the war had transitioned to an insurgency where the enemy were predominantly using IEDs and I was going to be a gunner, which is the position most likely to get hit by IEDs because you're, you're more exposed. Right. Uh, then by my third deployment towards the end, uh, it was to Kirkuk, Iraq in 2010. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't as I wasn't as worried because we're, we already knew that we weren't going to be going on missions outside the wire almost ever. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the enemy was still nice enough to lob uh, improvised mortars over the fence at us on at least a weekly basis just to let, a, let us know they still cared about us. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Sorry. I'd be in the middle of playing Starcraft in my chew and I'd hear burr, 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 warning incoming incoming. Mm-hmm. And. The first few times it happened, I did what we're all briefed to do, run outside, find a concrete bunker, hide, down, hide, wait for the impact sound. And then one day I was coming back from chow after an incoming alert and it hit right on top of somebody's chew, which is a compartmentalized housing unit or something like that. It's basically, it's basically a metal shed made to be living quarters for soldiers. Right. And a mortar shell had landed right on somebody's chew, right oh, on their there. bed, in fact. Oh, and I was just like, you know what? These mortars, 
they're so random. If, if there's a mortar out there with my name on it, hiding isn't going to help me. And, and a lot of soldiers do get that. That, go, that goes yeah. back to what I said earlier in the interview of, so we have to, we start developing a kind of lack, not so much lack of fear, a, a comfortableness with the idea of death. Um, okay. So like, so I know from talking to other soldiers and from also reading a little bit on psychology, I know my attitude isn't abnormal for soldiers. And that's like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to bother hiding. I'm not going to react because if there's a mortar out there with, a, with my name on it, nothing I can do is going to stop it. So there's no point in worrying about it. Mm-hmm. Just and I kind of action. hope that. And I, and I had, and I, I, and I actually just, I had that same attitude. I'd started getting that same attitude in my second deployment with IEDs, where when I, we, one of the first things I do when we got in countries, we got a big in-depth briefing where they're laying out all these different IEDs on tables going, here's what the enemy are making. And I'm looking at all the clever ways they're hiding these things, that, these IEDs. It's like, oh yeah, you're supposed to be, look, look, look for the telltale wires and all that stuff. I'm like, Yeah. I'm going to spot a wire the size of, you know, a phone cord while I'm bouncing up and down in a, on a bumpy road in a turret going 50 miles an hour. No, if there's an IED out there with my name on it, it's going to get me. I'm not going to spot the stupid thing. So that all I'm going to do is while I'm up on that turret, I'm going to scan my sector. And mm-hmm. if I see some, if I see it, a bad guy who's so bad at his job that he lets me see him and I can, t- and I can tell that he's a trigger man. Okay. I'll kill him. Yeah. But well, I'm not going to worry about, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to see the IED that kills me. So yeah. there's no point in constantly stressing over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it for sure. What extraordinary discovery have you found in your life or have you? Uh, well, shoot, maybe that's it. Let's don't sweat little stuff. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about death because death happens to everybody at some point. You don't know when it's going to happen. If you live your whole life worrying about, oh no, I might cross the street and get killed. So I better not do this. Oh no, this new type of Mm -hmm. flu or something might kill me. So I better you know, hide and mm-hmm. lock myself in my house 24 seven. Yeah. Jeez, Jason, <laughs> I had goosebumps when you, how profound is that? Um, I had goosebumps from you describing that. And that's true. I mean, we are going to all die <laughs> yeah, and we so, live in so much well, fear no while we're alive. Worrying about it. It's yeah. When it happens, it's going to happen. You're probably not going to you can plan for it all you want, make a will, sure. But there's no point in sweating about it because chances are you're not going to know it happens until it happens. So, like, I always, every time I took my son in for, in, into bed at night, I tell him I love him. Every time I send mm-hmm. him off to school, I tell him I love him. Yeah. And I've made him, I've made him aware his whole life because we've talked about, he's seen a couple of pets die at this point. He's, yes. I, I teach my son. Yeah, death happens. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. Someday we will say our last goodbye. Maybe it'll be me that goes first. It should be. It better be me that goes first. Mm-hmm. You know, so someday he should be prepared. Hey, guess what? Someday grandma and grandpa are going to die. Someday I'm going to die. 
enjoy the people you have while you have them. There's no point in sweating what work. There's no point in ruining your life worrying about when it happens. And that's, yeah, that's great philosophy. Fantastic. So do you think your son will go into the military? Would you advise him? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise it. Um, If he were to go in the military, I would tell him, go officer. If you're going to be a soldier, you may as well be a well-paid soldier. Right. Um, And no, the way the uh, U.S. Army is right now, no, uh, I'm afraid I wouldn't actually advise it. And I know a lot of, I know a lot, a lot of peers who would say the exact same thing. (laughs) Well, Um, we always want uh, more. Uh, We always want better uh, for our children uh, than what we've had. Um, And so that's really good advice. Thank you very much for being on the Rhonda Grant show. I really enjoyed our time together and I've enjoyed our discussions up until now. And uh, so I look forward to uh, interviewing you when your next book comes out and who knows it might be um before christmas so that people can buy it uh who have uh, already bought uh, honor uh, loss for friends of theirs right well i'm gonna so honor loss came out just after christmas of 2022 mm-hmm. i would say i would i would i'll give it i'm gonna i want to give it this at least this full year to see how oh, it does. okay right if it does well enough to justify the expense, I could re- I could see pulling the trigger on that and getting the balls going, getting the ball going yeah. to get the next one spun up next year. I I see. If this if it does well, so please everybody buy my book. Yeah, give me a reason to publish the next one and the next yes, one. Exactly. So Jason <laughs> Kyle, you will not be disappointed. Honor Lost is his first book. It's already award winner. And I advise you to get onto Amazon and get your copy. Thank you very much for being on the show, Jason. Thank you. Thank you. Had a good time. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant show is Sun on the Water, composed and performed by my friend John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rondagrantauthor.com. That's rondagrantauthor.com. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax.